Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Brother Landon, for leading us in song. And Brother Connie, thank you for your wonderful prayer. We welcome you all here this morning. Thank you for being here. We have several visitors, and we're so very glad to have our visitors with us. And you're special to us. We want to make you feel welcome and treat you well. And uh, we want you to know that you are always welcome back at any, any opportunity that you have. We're very glad to have you and all of our members. We have members who are uh, just now getting able to uh, come back with us in, in, in person. And we're so very glad to have you and all of you who keep coming every week. And then our wonderful people who join uh, online with us. And we're so glad to have uh, all of our online folks with us this morning. And be sure you know that just because you're online doesn't mean we don't care about you and out of sight, out of mind. We're here for you. So all you got to do is let us know and uh, we will do whatever we can to serve you. And that goes for all of you. Thank you for being here. This morning, we're looking at this uh, next lesson in our series. If Jesus is Lord, God sits on the throne of my heart. So this next image is the throne of Gnosis. Now, this is one of the oldest thrones known to the world, oldest current thrones that we still have preserved. This throne was actually, is actually on the island of Crete, where Paul left Titus, remember? And Titus uh, did his ministry there on the island of Crete. Uh, Paul communicated to him and left him there to do his ministry. The throne of Gnosis was from the Minoan civilization who were existed between 2600 and 1100 BC. So a long time ago, well before Titus was there. And this would have been there though when Titus was there. It's been it's been preserved and and you know taken care of. This is not in its absolute original form, but it's been well taken care of. Uh, it's believed that this was the first advanced civilization of its kind in Europe and uh, marked the beginning of what we think of today as European culture. Uh, some, some who have studied it think this might not have been where the king sat, but this might have been uh, the area where sacred or religious uh, activity took place, not sacrifices or anything, but conversation and study and you know, prayers, anything along those lines. Uh, so this was a part of an elaborate uh, temple and uh, building uh, that, that is still there today. You know, thrones are elevated seats, aren't they? Essentially, that's what they are. Uh, they, they're occupied by the person in authority. And uh, they're, they're usually not just on the ground, but they're up higher and higher. In fact, it's from the the concept of a throne that we even get the idea of stages, podiums, all those sorts of things. Uh, obviously, sometimes it's simply so a person could be seen and heard. Uh, but oftentimes, or always, when we're thinking about a throne, a throne is where the king sits, the person who has authority and power and makes the decisions. It symbolized supreme power and dignity. And thrones weren't just some old wooden chair out of grandma's kitchen, were they? They were elaborate. 
They were very valuable. In fact, there'd be whole throne rooms. So you didn't just get a throne, you got a whole room to go with it. And they were very ornate, uh, expensive, and very, very nice. Sometimes guarded. I saw one throne room that had life-size golden lions in different poses that kind of surrounded the throne to protect from enemies approaching the throne too closely or too quickly. Now, thrones today aren't really a part of our everyday culture, are they? We don't walk around thinking of thrones. Uh, You might be in charge at work, but you probably don't have a throne in a throne room. So thrones are not really a part of our culture here today, but we do still have thrones. We, in fact, we each have a throne, and that is the throne of our heart. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Our hearts act as the chief organ in our body. When we think about the inner person, who you really are, the heart of a person, we think about the inner being, and Scripture refers to the heart as the, the, the you know, essence of that person, who they are, their, their life, their personality. And that's what we think of when we think of the heart, and it's used in Scripture. You, you know, you can't live without the heart, but the heart also is personified to talk about who you are. Uh, the word came to mean the center of our mental and moral and spiritual lives. And our heart is referred to as the seat of desire and will and emotion and knowledge and character. And it refers to that inner person. Proverbs 4.23 is a more common passage that says, Keep your what? Heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So the heart is referred to in Scripture as something very important to a person. Now, our hearts have a throne. Our hearts have a throne, a place where we put whoever we want to, whoever's in charge of our lives is who we put on the throne of our heart. And because they're on the throne of our heart, that means they're the ruler, the, the, the supreme being of our lives because our heart represents who we truly are. And we all have someone sitting on the throne of our hearts. It's one of two beings or people, if you will. And it's either God or self. One of those is sitting on the throne of your heart. Either God or self. And so what the Christian life is about is dethroning self and making sure God is on the throne of your heart. And that happens when you become a Christian, and that happens in the daily walk of a Christian to continue to grow spiritually. So you have a choice to make for your day, your day for your life, don't you, at all times, is who sits on the throne of my heart? Now, only one can sit there. There can only be one king that sits on the throne. And you have to decide who's going to sit there. Now, each of those kings are going to take you to two very different places, aren't they? Two very different places, two very different roads in life. And whoever sits on the throne of your heart is the one who's going to lead you down that path. One will lead you to everlasting uh, heavenly life with him, that being God. And the self... And we won't take time this morning to explore this, but when the self sits on the throne, 
Ultimately, who sits on the throne is Satan himself. Because that's exactly what he wants for your life. You think you're in control, and he knows who's really in control. So you have a choice. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And Paul writes, But understand this, that in the last days... Now, when Paul wrote this, that was... A couple of years ago, wasn't it, when he wrote 1 Timothy? So way back then, when he wrote it, he was already saying, and talking about the last days. Fast forward to where we are today. All right, so, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. You see that? Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Look at this. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of... Today's culture. Does this sound like it could have been written today and apply? Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of all of these earthly physical things, boastful, brutes, all of the. That sounds like somebody just wrote this to describe today's world. And I think it shows the timelessness of Scripture and how God knew exactly what he was writing, when, what he was inspiring to have written when he inspired his word to be written. And, 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 it, and it was true then and it's true now. And the, the one we have to deal with the most is the self sitting on the throne. God addressed this way back with Moses in the Ten Commandments. And that's why this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So Exodus 20 and 3, and then again in Deuteronomy 5, 7, the, 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 the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Meaning, I'm supposed to sit on the throne of your heart, not yourself, not somebody or something else. And then he told Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Do you see that? Isn't that amazing how the Bible just speaks to our issues today and just tells us what we need to know? And if we'll slow down and listen to its words, these words should be on your heart. Now, let me ask you something. When God said these words shall be on your heart, did he mean 
the physical organ within your body pumping blood. That somehow those words are supposed to be on the organ in your heart. Well, no, that's not what God meant. But that's what God said. That's his literal words that he said to Moses and to tell the people. That's what he wanted. So, of course, we know that he meant he wanted them to have God on the throne of their heart. To, he, he, he wanted them to love him as much as he loves them, to have that kind of relationship Together, The heart as an organ cannot love. All it can do is what God created it to do. So we see that God always understood that we would have this battle within us. You have that battle within you. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you're a teenager, you have this battle. Everybody does. And God knows full well that when the self is on the throne of the heart, it doesn't lead us anywhere good. In this life, and especially, ultimately, eternally, it doesn't lead us anywhere good. The deceit, though, is that we think it does. Because we think we're in control. And don't you think that's a good trick of the devil? To sit back and let us think we're in control, we're so smart, and we're calling the shots here, doing what we want to do, what makes us happy, what we think is all the best things to do in life to succeed. And all the while, God, Satan has us exactly where he wants us. And God is not on the throne of our hearts. God is the very best thing for us. His love, his glory. There's nothing that, that anyone will ever discover that realizes, oh, you know what? There was something better than God. God is the best thing for us. His glory glorified in us is the best thing for us. His glory is what uh, caused Christ to come and, and save us, to be put on the cross. His love for us, his, how magnificent him, he is, his love for us, all of that is the best thing for us. Him sitting on the throne of our heart is the best thing for our lives, even though it doesn't always seem like it because why it's not what i want to do or what i feel like okay there's always that battle and of course paul talked about that in romans now jesus repeated this in the great commandment the greatest commandment when he was asked by the pharisees teacher what is the great commandment in the law now they were asking him to trick him and on this next slide, we see that Jesus replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with, all your, uh, with your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then Jesus continued in verse 39 and said, The second is like it. See, he, he always, he didn't just, he didn't ever fall into their trap. He did, he said and did what he knew he needed to do. He knew where they were coming from. And he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the laws. Now, I used to think that that last part just kind of didn't, you didn't have to pay attention to that last part of the verse. Sometimes we do that with scripture, don't we? We just think, oh, that's the important part, and this over here, you just skip over it. But what is he saying right there? What is Jesus saying on the very end, that last sentence? On these two commandments, love God with, all your, with your all and love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying everything else depends on that. 
God first in your life and then you showing that love to others, everything else about living for God depends on you doing those two things. It all comes from that. You know, we say you get, you get uh, Christ right in your life. In other words, becoming a Christian, you put him first, everything else falls in place. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That's what he means. It, everything else is going to fall in place. All of a sudden, that stuff isn't an issue anymore. Isn't, and, and problems seem to, seem to change in your perspective and your priorities. Now, this was repeated. This, this statement was repeated twice daily by Jews. That's how important they, they took this statement. That's how important it was to them. It encapsulates the idea of total devotion to Jesus. So they, they repeated this twice every day. And it includes the duty to obey everything that God had commanded. They understood this was all inclusive. And Jesus is saying that the greatest thing, the most important thing you can do is love God with your all. And that means he's sitting on the throne of your heart. Now how do I put God on the throne of my heart? How do I put God on the throne of my heart? I think that's a good question. Jesus tells us more about that in Luke chapter 9. So let's turn to Luke chapter 9 in verses 23 through 25. Now, I'm going to read this, and you listen for what do you hear about someone sitting on the throne of your heart. Okay, I want you to listen for that. Verse 23, Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me... Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, his cross daily, and do what? Follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And how do you do that? With the self sitting on the throne and loses or forfeits his, his own soul. Eternally, he's meaning. So Jesus isn't saying that uh, his followers need to deny themselves things. He's not talking about uh, make sure you don't eat too much junk food and make sure you, you know, he, that's not what he's talking about. Are those good principles and guidelines for health? Sure. But Jesus doesn't mean that you follow me by denying yourself uh, that, that, that Coke on the weekend. That's, that's not what he's talking about. What he means is you are denying personal control of your life. You're denying yourself from doing everything you want to do, what you feel like doing, what brings you satisfaction and fulfillment, and you are choosing to follow him, and you're giving him priority and control of your life. Now, that doesn't mean you have a sad, boring, unhappy life. In fact, those folks are the ones who have the most fulfilled, satisfied lives. So, if you want to follow Jesus, here's the deal. You can't be in charge anymore. That's just the bottom line. If you're going to follow Christ, if Jesus is Lord, you're not in charge anymore. You're, you're not in charge. And so that means that, affects, that has to affect your attitude. That has to affect your words. That has to affect your, your course in life. That has to affect your daily decisions. Because guess what? You're denying yourself. And we know, every one of us knows, that's the hardest thing to do is deny the self. Now, what does it mean to take up your cross daily? 
Now, Luke is the only one who, of the gospel writers who uses the word, includes the word daily. What does it mean to take up your cross daily? Now, it was bad enough for the disciples to hear that Jesus would suffer and be rejected and die on the cross. And now he's telling them what? Now you have to do the same thing. That's what they're hearing. You have to do the same thing. And as he spoke these words, everybody knew what he was talking about. He was talking about carrying your own cross. Literally, that's what they were thinking in the way that he would carry a cross. Now remember, the cross was first put on him when he had to carry it, and then he was put on a cross. He had to bear his own cross. And he's saying, you got to do the same thing in your daily decisions, your daily lifestyle to deny yourself, to dethrone self and enthrone God. Okay? When the Romans crucified a criminal, and remember, they were experts at this, you carried the cross first before they hung you on it, and then you died on that cross. So following Jesus is to say, I'll follow you. Not literally in that same way, but figuratively in that same way with all of my life. I'm going to follow you like that. And Jesus, you've seen it in movies and it's just depicted as well as it can be. But him and some better than others, but Jesus carrying that, that horizontal beam for as long as he could before uh, he just couldn't carry it anymore. And that's the example of us living our Christian lives, carrying that burden of living for him always. Now, carrying a cross always led where? If, if a cross was put on you, it always led to death on that cross. So you are continually dying to yourself and living for Christ. Now, uh, Jesus made, uh, he made denying himself, he denied himself when he was in heaven and did not consider himself equal or, or uh, to stay there, something to be grasped or held on to, Philippians chapter 2. In other words, he gave up, he denied uh, self. In other words, who wouldn't want to stay there? But he always, he says, I always do what pleases my father. So he denied himself coming to earth to, to live uh, a perfect life for us, to be that perfect sacrifice for us, to carry that cross, uh, his own cross to his own death, to be that sacrifice, so that now we don't have to be lost in sin and be trapped by the sin of living for ourselves, but he paid that price for us so that we might be able to have eternal life in him. So why did he say to do this daily? Because that's where we need it, is daily. You don't need it just on Sunday morning when we're all asking, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Fine. And that's all fine to do. But it's in the daily grind of the daily grind that you need to carry your cross daily. Verses 24 through 25, we must follow Jesus in this way because it's the only way we find eternal life. The only way you get to the end is to follow Christ. The end that ends up in heaven is to follow Christ in the daily grind of carrying your cross. Now, Romans 6, chapter 3. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. Go there, and we'll see Paul has something. This has a connection to baptism. I think it's a real interesting connection in Romans chapter 6 that Paul shows us. How can we 
who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And that was on a cross. So we were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That self dethroned uh, and God enthroned. Okay, That old self and that new self. Verse 7. For no one who has died has been set uh, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, we will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you see how Jesus lived his life and that time on earth and what he does now. Verse 11, so you also, if we're going to follow him, anyone who follows me, and if Jesus is Lord, so you also must consider yourselves what? Dead to sin. That's dethroning the self. Not only in baptism when God does that operation in the water and you raise to walk in newness of life, but also daily you do this. Dead to sin and what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, he's showing us that it's to God. God is the one on the throne, but how do you do it? In or through Christ Jesus. That's the only way you get there. Look at what Paul tells us in Philippians 2. We referred to this earlier, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess what? Look at this. That Jesus Christ is Lord. See, our series is if Jesus is Lord, then therefore. But look at this. To the glory of God the Father. See, God and Jesus always points us to God. He's always pointing us to a relationship with him. And he's saying, I'm the mediator that came to get you reconnected with him because of the fall. So every knee's going to bow. And see, that's the deal. On Judgment Day, every knee is going to bow. You may not bow during your life on earth, but one day, no matter what, every knee is going to bow. So don't you think you're better off when you bow before you have to and you do it by choice and you put God on the throne of your heart? If you want God on the throne of your heart, you have to give over, give over, give up personal control of your life. And that's the hardest thing to do. And God knew it, and that's why he talks a lot about it. So I want to ask you this morning, who sits on the throne of your heart? Is it yourself? Has your, has your everything you want to do, every, every whim, everything that would uh, uh, propel you to a more successful, so, and you believe, happier life, everything that you, and you never pause to think, is this what God wants for my life? Is this how God wants me to live my life? Is this serving God first, seeking first the kingdom of God? I want you to ask, where are you in that? And we want, you to, we want you to know this church is here to encourage you, to help you even figure out how, in situations, get the self off the throne and get God on the throne.
If we can help you this morning, we want you to know we're here for you. If you need prayers, you might be wanting to set up a study and start studying about how do I do this? What does this look like? What about baptism? What about the church? What about, uh, how do, I've got some situations. How do I get the self off the throne? Or maybe you've been studying and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism because that's where it happens when you put that self, get that self off the throne. And that's done by the power of God. And then you're raised to walk in newness of life. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward now as we together stand and sing.